Hello, and welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we discuss an oft-forgotten installment in a franchise and see if you should check it out for yourself. I'm one of your hosts, Corey, and in the words of a couple people, what's wrong? My burger's weird. And with me, I've got Liam. Do anything you want to. Good times. Is that it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Mitch. In the words of pretty much everyone, how's the hangover? That is a that is an apt an apt quote, an apt question, really. Yeah. Um I am very excited that we're talking about this movie today, boys. Massive uh, pick. This is a pick that I've almost done several times. And it just felt like the right moment to finally get in our slumber party massacre two bag. Yeah, you know, I, I went through um our list of of movies because because it'll be my pick at the end of the episode. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't overlooking something that that needed to be done this week. And I scrolled all the way through, and Slumber Party Massacre two was like a hundred out of three hundred some. So so it's it's been on the radar for a long time. Yeah, I also think it's just like an iconic, like in a weird way. I guess maybe just in certain circles, but like it's almost as iconic as the original but for different reasons than the original because the like the first one having come so much earlier and being a bit more like straight ahead in wanting to be a slasher and then this one just being like this is the quintessential like we took it and it's supposed to be funny this time and i just think that's really interesting and like the poster even i've talked about this poster several times i want to own this poster so bad um, but I cannot seem to find one that's full size, and that makes me sad. Not even a reproduction, um, which really does kind of suck. But uh, it's like just to paint a picture of the kind of movie we're dealing with here: slumber parties in like a nice cursive font, massacres in the meme text, basically. And then we've got three scantily clad women on a bed, looking scared or sexy. And there's a smoke machine and there is like a 50s looking greaser man with like a heavy metal sharp demon guitar with a gigantic drill bit sticking out of the end of it. So if you were wondering what kind of movie you were getting and thought after that description, hey, was this produced by Roger Corman? Yes, <laughs> it's exactly that kind of movie. And I was very excited to finally watch it because I hadn't seen it. And it's also a brisk like 75 minutes so you could really watch this like with breakfast yeah you could watch it in at least two sittings you could watch it you, i double featured it with itself you could watch yeah, it that's... with a nice creme brulee <laughs> can you please elaborate last night i was eating some creme brulee and i was like this is kind of a creme brulee vibe this movie uh and then you both ridiculed <laughs> me <laughs> what does that mean it's a creme brulee vibe, you know? It's it's kind of like a, a delicate confection. That's, I don't even know if I'd call a creme brulee a confection, but it's like a rich dessert, you know? <laughs> very sweet, very uh, like, whoa, like there might be too much. I don't know if I can eat it all, but I'm going to enjoy it, you know? Yeah, what sure, do you put it like that? Maybe, that? That makes sense. Maybe you don't know. Maybe nobody knows, and I'm, I'm the only one who sees the creme brulee vibe. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, so I was saying to Mitch that I would think that if... 
if you're eating creme brulee during a movie, you're probably likely to say that just any movie is a creme brulee vibe if you happen to have creme no, brulee. No, 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 no. Eh? Have you tried no, getting no, no. creme brulee during other movies and you're like, this ain't it. This doesn't fit at all. Just spat it out on the floor. This <laughs> not is not a creme, creme brulee, brulee vibe. <laughs> and I also said to Mitch that uh, I said... Um, man who has only ever eaten creme brulee before eats a potato for the first time and it's like you know i'm kind of getting creme brulee vibes from this man who has only seen slumber party massacre watches like dr zhivago and is like man can i get in slumber party massacre vibes no this? no dr zhivago is not a creme brulee vibe either <laughs> say it's more what, like a borscht vibe what other movies are a creme brulee vibe uh i would say any Technicolor Cirque is a creme brulee vibe. Yes. Um, any kind of like 80s does the 50s uh, rich, sweet colors, pastels. But what uh, about like creme brulee vibe? But not something like American Graffiti, which is sort of like a 70s does the 50s, but that's not creme brulee vibe. I don't think so. I haven't seen American Graffiti in a while. But That's it, like I, hamburger and fries vibe. Yeah, I'd say it's more of like a vanilla shake. Or a strawberry shake and fries kind of vibe. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to do something preemptive, which is that if anybody could go to our email, tmaopodcast at gmail.com and tell us what movies you think have a creme brulee vibe, would not be happier about anything I, than if people would, did that. I would love if some data analyst wrote in with a graph of every movie we've done on the show from like most creme brulee vibe to least creme brulee vibe that would be wonderful yeah Slumber like Party a massacre one it couldn't be further from like a creme brulee vibe like it's uh fascinating it's pizza yeah, i vibe. would say it's like a twinkie kind of vibe or like like a hostess pastry vibe but this one is a creme brulee vibe so how is it that hi how is it that the first isn't a creme brulee vibe, but both the first and the second are pizza vibes? Because I think I told you that I ate pizza while watching the second. You agreed that the second was a pizza vibe. I, I can't imagine you would disagree that the first is a pizza vibe. They eat pizza in the movie. So how is it they're both pizzas, but they're not both creme brulees? Well, you can be both pizza vibes, but not everything is... A pizza vibe is a much more of like a blanket vibe. You know, you can catch lots of titles with that. It's an umbrella mm. that, that covers lots of different things. Whereas a creme brulee vibe is like a tailored raincoat. It only goes to a few different things. It's not as generous as a pizza vibe. That is an astonishing description of... A creme brulee vibe and by extension slumber party massacre too, a movie that I I feel like couldn't be further from a tailored raincoat. <laughs> well, this is fascinating. Okay, now I want the graph updated with a, a line of pizza vibes, and I want to see when the pizza and the creme brulee intersects. I think what we need is like a Z axis, so we need like X axis creme brulee, Y axis pizza. The Z axis is tailored raincoat. Yeah, I think you'll find uh, quite that a few. spectrum can contain all films. I think <laughs> so right. too. Yeah. Like Le Samurai, all the way at the end of the Z axis tailored raincoat. Definitely, and Whereas, I would say like maybe Ratatouille or uh, another movie like that, all the way over to Creme Brulee, French cuisine, of course. Right. What's the dead center of this? Of this. Uh, vortex that we've created i would say slumber party massacre too how it can't be a <laughs> criminal right in the middle 
what you're saying doesn't make any sense. This is not science that you're getting into art. Well, I'm not the one who's trying to to quantify art with with scales <laughs> and graphs. I just know a creme brulee vibe when I see a creme brulee vibe. What about a Turkish coffee vibe? Uh, I was having some Turkish coffee with the creme brulee, and so this it's the is same decidedly vibe? less a Turkish coffee vibe. But you're introducing a whole other element, and it's just going to get messy. <laughs> We're running out of axes that we can realistically use to quantify this. There are only so many letters of the alphabet. And if we get too deep into like the Q zone, I think that's a whole different kind of ball game conspiracy that we don't want to touch. Yeah. So we're talking about a movie that defies scientific quantification or alternatively is the dead center ideal of balance in cinema. It depends on the argument you'd like to make based on our pre-created scale. Um, Alternatively, uh, if anybody listening wants to instead pick their favorite movie and tell us where it ends up on the creme brulee pizza tailored raincoat axes matrix mm-hmm. that would also be just an absolute delight um liam you mentioned that we've all seen the first one and the second one and so with that in mind could you tee up the first one for me yeah, so the first one, um, if anyone doesn't know, it's it's a film from 1982. Uh, you kind of get what, what it says on the tin, The Slumber Party Massacre. It's, it's a slasher movie um, that has some slight satirical elements, but, but mostly I'd say it's a straight-ahead slasher movie. Um, pretty cheap, you know, you got some naked women, you got a, a killer who escaped from a psychiatric hospital and he's killing people with a drill. And uh, I first saw this movie um, maybe five years ago. I was hanging out uh, at the house you're in right now, Corey. Um, And me and uh, Corey's current roommate, my former roommate, uh, Corey wasn't there at the time. We decided to put on a movie on on Amazon Prime Video. Slumber Party Massacre was there. It's also got an iconic poster of uh, four scantily clad women um, on the floor looking up at a menacing figure who has his legs spread and he's holding a drill. Um, and so we, we put it on, you know, I, I, I was just really getting into 80 slashers at the time. And so I wanted to check it off and, uh, I, I really didn't like it. Uh, Oh, neither of us liked it. In fact, I, I will, I'll read you the review that I, that I had at the time. Okay, not, not, not anywhere close to five years ago, actually. This was three years ago, so I've had a lot of growth since then. Three and a half years ago, April 1st, 2019. So I guess I could now, uh, I can make the excuse this was an April Fool's joke, but I'll tell you guys that it wasn't an April Fool's joke. Um, I was just a fool back then. I wrote, I wish this were as satirical and cunning and clever as the poster makes it seem to be. There is an occasional amount of irreverence that differentiates it from the slashers of the time, the pizza and the refrigerator, but mostly it's a by-the-numbers flick with a certain flatness. I even watched it with a friend, hoping to have a good time, and we just couldn't sink our teeth into it. What a great poster, though. I gave it one and a half out of five. That's like that a three is a, out of ten. That's a cruel rating based on the words you use to describe it. Yeah, you could have just been like, not creme brulee, one. <laughs> that would have made more sense to me. <laughs> I think people would have really, that would have went huge big time viral on Letterboxd. 
I'll tell you what, I don't think I'd ever had creme brulee at this point, but by the time I watched the movie for a second I don't second know if time, I've ever had creme brulee still. Oh, that's why you're so confused. We need to rectify that, Corey. Maybe when we watch Slumber Party Massacre 3. So then in uh, September of 2021, so less than a year ago, Slumber Party Massacre came through at my work. And in case anyone doesn't know, um, I write described video for movies. So it's kind of like... Uh, the opposite of subtitles, I write visual descriptions that are then read out by a voice so that people who are visually impaired can have uh, a movie or a TV show described to them. So the movie came in at my work. I was very excited to see it despite not liking it because, you know, how often do I get to describe an 80s slasher? Not, not too often. Um, so I queued it up and I watched it uh, attentively, you know, because it took me a few, a few hours to, to write this material. And I was blown away by the movie. Uh, I, I then wrote on Letterboxd, I want it on record that the last time I watched this, which was also the first time I watched this, I gave it one and a half stars. One and a half. I'm now convinced I need to just constantly be re-watching movies I haven't seen for two years or more because 1.5 stars is not fair to me or anyone else. And I gave it a 5 out of 5, a 10 out of 10. Um... I was so wrapped up in the the quaint um, suburban atmosphere of the movie. I think that the uh, moments of satire, of irreverence that I, that I mentioned in my first review are, are perfectly placed, actually. I think this movie walks a really great line of being a straight-ahead slasher that has tension and has a lot of the tropes that um, make up a slasher movie. And so I think it's comforting that way, but I also think it, it pokes a bit of fun occasionally. And then when it's just doing the slasher movie thing, I think it, it does it just about as well as uh, most other great slashers. So I absolutely loved Slumber Party Massacre the second time through. Um, then I got the Blu-ray and I've seen it a few times since. I've, I've watched, the, watched it with the commentary on there and I've dug through the special features. So now I consider Slumber Party Massacre, the original one, one of my favorite uh, horror movies, certainly one of my favorite slasher movies. Um, and it's just another example of me sort of getting Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the next generation, where I just, uh, upon second watch, I felt totally different about um, a movie. And after I watched it, about a year ago um, and fell in love with it. I told Corey about it, you know, and I told him that there was a remake coming out soon. And I, I suggested that Corey watch the original and, and you did that, didn't you, Corey? I did. Um, so if I will admit that I don't remember like a lot of the specifics of the movie as well as I'd like to discuss it now, but I figured I'd pull up what my Letterboxd review was just to see if I said anything insightful and I did not. Um, this is from October 19th, 2021. So Halloween season was in full effect. And I said, I'm not even done the movie quite yet, but there's gotta be too much sugar to put into that Kool-Aid. Right. Right. Nice. And then yeah. I said, update. Hello, baseball fans. So the review isn't really helping me much, <laughs> but, um, I remember being very, very, very impressed and having a really good time with it um i think what's cool about the movie is that it does all of the satirical stuff and like the the really blatant phallic imagery stuff and all of these like big check boxes and whatever but it also just feels like 
an actual group of actual like high school friends actually navigating like real friendships which doesn't always feel like something that you get and it certainly seems like it's a surprise for this kind of movie in particular um and it feels like it really toes a line between being not just a good slasher and not just a good send up of other slashers but also like aware of like who the people in the movie actually are and like what their relationships are and what is actually going on and i think that's that's a huge boon for it that not a lot of other movies kind of have beyond just being like a really good time that's a, that's a great that's a great point the if you remember Corey, my favorite aspect of the movie is um the the neighbor of the of the girls having the slumber party um her name is valerie yeah. and she is a little sister courtney who's probably 12 years old or so and they have just a really believable cute um you know occasionally antagonistic but also very loving relationship kind of uh big Zathura vibes um which is the only other movie i've ever seen in my life and uh i I love the movie for that i think the characters are are super likable and and super um um emotionally captivating once i once i gave them a shot that second time what do you reckon mitch what's your experience with the movie so i watched the movie for the first time yesterday i've heard both of you oh fuck really speak about it uh i did a double feature i went out to jazz on monday night kind of overdid kind of overdid it and then yeah i went out to jazz overdid it and uh i watched both these movies uh in pretty fairly quick succession there was a decent break in between but uh i arrive at a similar at, at a similar but also different conclusion uh than both of you i didn't find the characters in the original to be all that compelling i think they're they're okay um I do like this, this like I, I there's not that much going on with them that was super interesting. It sort of feels like standard slasher fare. There wasn't anything to those relationships that seemed particularly elevated to me or like standing tall uh, within that genre or the films of that genre at that time. But I do really like the original for a lot of reasons for same reasons that you say that the satirical elements i was reading on wikipedia that they actually wanted to make it more of a satire but then when they were producing it they decided to go more of a more of a direct route and just sort of do the traditional slasher thing i mean when they devise yeah. the name slumber party massacre it definitely evokes like um i guess what everyone was kind of afraid of in the video nasty era and sort of the splatter film era right and the idea of someone using a drill and how it's so clearly uh phallic is uh evocative and also kind of ridiculous and in a way self-reflexive too because it um like there's a lot of interesting feminist takes on like from feminist film critics on on this particular movie and franchise um because in part because of that um i guess gimmick but uh i really like it i think some of the kills are great i think it's a like a, an above average slasher and I, I i really like parts of it not the kind of thing that i was like completely buckled in like but it was nice to have kind of going on in the background while i was suffering and yeah <laughs> yeah i think that's i think that's totally a reasonable take that first movie it was it was actually written um by by a feminist writer i'm not sure if she's written any other 
movies. She's written novels and poetry and stuff like that. Her name is Rita Mae Brown. And then the director, Amy Holden Jones, came in and I and I learned from uh, watching some special features and, and interviews and stuff that she went in at, at the behest of Roger Corman and, and did a whole lot of rewriting and um, toned down a lot of the a lot of the elements that that were already in there that made it a bit more satirical and I think that's what disappointed me the first time around um, I was expecting something that was a lot more uh, I was expecting something that was more groundbreaking more uh, parodic but um, upon upon revisit I, I liked that it did that it does both things and it's actually one of the most unique slasher franchises that I can think of. It might even be the only one where every franchise, every installment in the franchise is directed and written by a woman, which is very cool. Not the same woman. Uh, they get a different people each time, but um, the, this the one we're going to talk about today was also written and directed by a woman. Yeah. Um, Rita Mae Brown quickly has done other movies. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. It looks like. One's Dang. a short, one is uh, a documentary, and then there's some uh, several TV movies. I'd like to highlight one in particular called The Long Hot Summer, which stars Don Johnson. Uh, it's a remake of a 1958 movie, but Mitch, I'd like to point out that this movie has Ava Gardner in it. Okay. Which is just wild, but also has like Sybil Shepherd in it. Interesting. And Wings Hauser, which I think is funny. <laughs> Guess we can do it on the pod. We can do it on the pod. Yeah. What? Sorry. What year is it? 1985. It's a remake okay. of a 58 movie. Wow. So that would have been like near the end of Ava Gardner's career. Yeah. It's a remake of a Paul a movie that stars Paul Newman. Okay. Yeah. And she, Joanne Woodward. Because she died, I think, in the early 90s or late 80s. So. And Orson Welles is in the original. What the fuck? Okay. <laughs> we should do this. Anyway, thanks, Rita Mae Brown. Um. So, just to tee up Slumber Party Massacre 2 then, we are looking at a, a sequel that's a lot more direct than I initially expected. So, Liam mentioned Valerie and Courtney from the first movie. Well, Courtney is our protagonist. She is haunted by the memories of the first movie and suffers from nightmares from having to sort of like violently intervene with her sister who has been whisked away to some court of like institution in the wake of um i guess like the suffering both in the original movie and like after that and uh but so we have courtney and she's like you know she's late in high school she's got a crush at a boy she's in a band with her friends which is pretty sick and they want to go out for like a weekend out at like a new house that one of their parents have but courtney is haunted by nightmares featuring the killer from the first movie who has been reincarnated as a greaser with the aforementioned drill bit guitar and that imagined reincarnated greaser killer um after a series of sort of shocks and like hallucinations and confusions just kind of becomes real because somebody is like two seconds away from having sex and in the most direct interpretation of slasher movies, don't like it when teens have sex I've ever seen. Um, the killer just becomes real. <laughs> and then they have to, you know, confront that. The sort of the gist of it. It's very straight ahead. Like we said, it's like 70 minutes. So very straightforward in those sort of terms. And then if we're looking at cast and crew, we've got Deborah Brock 
as the writer and the director. Uh, if you remember, the TV at one point shows the movie Rock and Roll High School. Uh, mm-hmm. Deborah Brock directed and wrote Rock and Roll High School Forever, which is a sequel to wow. Rock and Roll High School. Would that have come out before this movie or after? Weirdly, I think it was after. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 1991. Yeah. So, but that's sick. She maybe she was just a fan, and she put it yeah. in the in here, and then she gets to direct the sequel. That's really cool. Yeah. Also was involved in Honey, I Blew Up the Kids, um, and also something called Montana Amazon Redux, which I just thought sounded kind of cool. Uh, the editor was William Flicker, who worked on Pee Wee's Playhouse, a movie called Lucas with like Corey Haim in it, uh, and Crime Zone, which is a David Carradine movie. Um, the cinematography is by Thomas L. Calloway. Does anyone remember what movie we watched of his? No. Uh, Should I? Looney Tunes eh. 2. Looney Tunes back in action. No, it was Punk's Dead. SLC Punk 2 is a <laughs> Thomas L. Calloway joint. Um, also worked on Tales from the Hood 3, Deep Blue Sea 2, Roadhouse 2, Last Call, and Raging Cajun Redneck Gators. Dude, the TMAO special, this guy. <laughs> Seriously. Um, and then the music is by Richard Cox, a.k.a. Dick Cox, which is very funny. Uh, nice, dude. And he worked on a movie called The American Scream, and I wrote down the plot description for that on IMDb because it made me laugh. The entire plot description is, family vacationing in the mountains is terrorized by local wackos. <laughs> Dang, okay, I'm it. down to watch that. Yeah. Any any then, synopsis that uses the word wacko in it, I'll probably be in. Yeah. Um, Crystal Bernard plays Courtney. She was uh, on the show Wings for a bit and Happy Days for a bit. She also has a credit on a song from the Good Burger soundtrack, which I thought was weird. Um, Jennifer Rhodes plays Courtney's mom. She was in Heather's Charmed. Grey's Anatomy, Third Rock from the Sun, Night of the Demons 2. Nice. Frame Up 2. I didn't even know there was a Night of the Demons 2. I'd say Heather's is a firm creme brulee vibe. Interesting. You think so, hey? I'm trying to Maybe imagine we have it too right narrow now. a view of creme brulee. Yeah, I, think I, I think I get that one. I mean, it's kind of a, it's a dark movie, but it has a sweetness to it. And creme brulee uh, yeah, can be it, dangerous. Know, it opens with Doris Day. You know, and that's a big creme brulee vibe song, I would have to say, too. So People are saying this here. But also, I would say the tailored raincoat scale on that cannot be overstated. It definitely kind of skews. Anyway. Where is police story on this axis that we've created? Hard on the tailored raincoat, hard on the pizza. Yes, I agree. 100%. Uh, Kimberly MacArthur plays Amy. Um, she's in a movie called Young Doctors in Love, which just is a funny name for a movie. Uh, Patrick Lowe plays Matt, who is Courtney's like boyfriend crush. Um, Juliet Cummins plays Sheila. Um, she's got it all. Friday the 13th 5, A New Beginning, Psycho 3, Police Academy 4, Citizens on Patrol. We could watch her movies a lot too if we wanted. Heidi Kozak Haddad plays Sally. She is in Friday the 13th 7, The New Blood. Mm-hmm. I felt like I recognized her from somewhere, even though I haven't seen that movie, but maybe I saw a clip of it or something. 
Maybe. Have you ever seen Society? No, but I want to, but I was told not to look anything up before I saw it, so I'm just like aware of the movie. Sure, yeah. Yeah, she's in that one. That's a okay. cool one. Uh, this is... Uh, oh, wait, not yet. So, Sydney Eelbacher plays Valerie. She was on The Young and the Restless for a while. Uh, this is my favorite credit we've ever had. Ever? Yes. Okay. Atanis Illich plays the Driller Killer. Uh, I mentioned Raging Cajun earlier because he was in the original Raging Cajun. Uh, he was also in a movie called The Private Matter. Those are all of his acting roles. Now, I read speculation that the reason he was in this movie in this role was because he or his family had a role in financing it. He is the brother of Christopher Illich. He is the CEO of Illich Holdings, which owns companies and businesses, including but not limited to Little Caesars, the pizza company, the Detroit Tigers, the Detroit Red Wings, Whoa. and Olympia Entertainment. So this is just like an, an unfucking fathomably rich family. And this dude, who, by the way, was born Thomas Illich, but is named Atanis Illich, is introduced in this movie, and he just fucking vamps all over the place playing this greaser man, and then just sort of vanished from acting after a couple more roles. And I wasn't able to confirm it, but may have had a role in financing it, and that's how he ended up there in the first place. But he's just part of this, like, mogul magnate family. Wow. I'll tell know, you what, right? there are there are worse instances of nepotism or uh, um, oh, yeah. people being this is... shoved into a movie uh, for business reasons. Um, <laughs> like uh, the one that always jumps out to me, it's not a familial thing, but it's um, in Clue. What's, what's that dude's name? Uh, There's one in Clue? Oh, yeah. He plays Mr. Body. He's, he's the lead singer of, um, of a punk band. Uh, he's got a really... Oh, Lee Ving. That's his name. Lee Ving. He plays Mr. That's a Body. That's fake-ass name. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, Mr. Body, that was like barely in the movie. Oh, dude, but it's noticeable. When he's acting beside Madeline Kahn and Tim Curry and Christopher Lloyd, get him out of here. I hate <laughs> he's it. Out. He's definitely outclassed. I don't think anybody's going to argue with you I there. love Madeline Kahn. One of my favorite oh, comics of all time. Yeah, amazing. But yeah, so I, I don't think that uh, Little Caesars guy here is is outclassed, actually. I think I think uh, if he He's stopped acting him. after this, he kind of he did everything he needed to do. Drop the yeah, mic. Why not? We've got Joel Hoffman playing TJ, maybe the biggest asshole of a character we've ever encountered. Uh, he was in Killer Workout. And Pumpkinhead. Uh-huh. Killer workout, not to be confused with Death Spa. Right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Which I've one of Death them Spa. did we watch? We watched Death so Spa. So we watched Death Spa. Haven't seen Killer Workout. And I've I've never seen Pumpkinhead. I've been meaning to. Maybe this October will be the time. I believe... Is Killer Workout the one where she's killing people with a safety pin or was that Death Spa? Could be either. I don't remember it. Anyway, in one of those movies, the killer is killing people with a giant safety pin. Um, Michael Delano... Oh, pardon me. Scott Westmoreland plays Jeff. And then Michael Delano is Officer Kruger. Uh, he was in Ocean's Eleven and Commando and Ring of Fire 2, Blood and Steel. And then Hamilton Mitchell plays Officer Voorhees. And he was in Caddyshack. Marshall LaPlante is car driver. Officer and- who? 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then Don Daniel plays Mr. Damn Kids. Because uh, he says damn kids. He was a producer on Rock and Roll High School Forever. Somber Party Massacre 2. That's probably why he's in the movie too. It's because he helped make it get made. And uh, he also produced a movie called Slave Girls from Beyond Infinity. Oh, God. People are getting around. So that's all the teeing up I feel like we really need to do. I want to get right into this bad boy. 34 minutes into the podcast. Um, Liam, you got to let me know. What did you think of this movie? I am so stoked on this movie. I think it's a delight. Uh, it's not what I expected at all. I, I was, I think, more out of the Slumber Party Massacre 2 loop than you were, Corey. I, uh, I only learned that it has this guitar th- thing in it when I was working on the first movie last September. And that was just, uh, I stumbled upon it from, you know, having to look up the the franchise on wikipedia or something and there's actually kind of a there's a cute reference to the guitar in in the remake and so um i needed to be able to catch that and kind of describe what the guitar looks like and and while doing that i discovered this second one and saw the poster um but i really i i don't know anyone who talks about it um so this one was an was an unknown to me i was very excited to see it and the whole time it was unraveling i was just so curious where it was going to go. It is, it's not what I expected at all. I mean, even learning that the killer is this greaser that has this guitar with a drill on the end, you know, I guess I kind of knew that going in. I've, I've seen those pictures, but um, seeing it in motion is a whole other thing. It, it was just, it was surprising, uh, even though I kind of knew it was coming. And the way it approaches it in sort of this nightmare on Elm Street way, um, yeah, it's very that. Yeah, you like you you can tell that's the inspiration for sure. Um and it it the movie has this surrealism to it that the the first movie doesn't have. Um and so I was just fascinated by it and so curious as to how it was going to unfold. I loved right at the beginning the way that it connects to the first movie. I think it's it's a, a pretty clever way to to make a sequel 5 years later where we have um uh, the 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 older sort of secondary protagonist in Valerie. Um, she's at a mental hospital. We don't see much of her, but we do get shots of her recast. But she she still feels like a presence, and and I and I buy that. Um, you know, a mental hospital is sort of something we've seen before. A character gets sent off to a mental hospital. It happened in Child's Play as well. But but I kind of buy it. You know. Um, once something so gnarly happens in your first movie, why not? And then I like that we're sticking with Courtney, um, who's probably my favorite character in the first movie. Um, it's a shame that she's recast. I, I like this new actress, but um, I really love that one in, in, the, in the first movie. It would have been cool to bring her back. But anyway, I, I was into it from the very beginning. And um, I think it is just such a weird approach to the slasher movie um it has a whole lot of little things i just happen to love in movies um and so that makes me even more enamored with it like i like that it has um uh some teens driving to school together in the morning Uh, for some reason i love in movies when teens link up 
in the morning to go to school. I, I, I just think that's like super bad, does it? I just think it's it, it kind of locks me into the suburban, uh, suburban setting. I just dig it. I love that it's uh, teens going to this sort of retreat house with this pool and just like they're lounging. They're they're as vulnerable as they can be. Really, they're they're on low alert. I love that idea. Um, and has some really cool set pieces that I think, though they feel sort of um, rushed or like incidental i think they actually end up looking really cool like there's a rooftop chase and this roof is is amazing it has so many different sections and and peaks and gaps and i think that was really cool and then they end up in this labyrinth of like an unfinished building um and i i learned today from watching a little mini documentary that these are all just reused sets from other roger corman movies but i think they put them to good use and then at the core of it all, I actually think that this is a pretty effective, albeit campy, I think it's an effective um, allegory about trauma. And uh, I think that it actually gives the Courtney character, um, and by extension, the, the Valerie character, even though she's not in the movie much, I still I still feel for her, and I really feel f- for Courtney, this, this young woman who had something so um, terrible happen to her um, and happened to her sister, and now she's, she's living with that trauma in, in the form of these dreams that don't quite make sense, and, and that's where the greaser with this electric guitar comes from. I was wondering how that was going to be the killer in this movie. And I think for it to be a dream character makes, makes a whole lot of sense. Courtney's a musician. Uh, she's um, finally allowing herself to be interested in men again after what happened to her. Um, uh, the killer in this case is, a, is an attractive dude. Um, and I just, I, I think it's actually really a really powerful movie, but mostly it's just a whole lot of fun. There's some great effects in it. Um, the cast is having a lot of fun. They're playing like these music numbers. I, I think it's just, it's one of those 80s movies that just sort of has an energy and a charm and a character to it. it it's anything but bland. You know, I can understand someone not liking it, but it, it definitely tries to do stuff uh, e- even more than the first movie. Uh, the first movie is a bit more subtle and straightforward. Um, and even though it took me two watches to fall in love with it, I still think it is, it is a pretty straight ahead story. Whereas this one in terms of its imagery and the story it's telling once, once all is revealed, it's, it's a bit more surreal and abstract and weird and, and even kind of twin peaksy, which, which I thought was cool because this is before twin peaks. And so I just think that there's a whole lot to chew on with this movie. Um, if not in terms of emotional weight, then just in terms of weirdness. And so I really, really love this movie and I would have watched it again right after it was over. Good luck topping that, Mitch. But what did you think about the movie? Wow, that was a great assessment. Man, it's it's thundering. You might be able to hear it. Might add Dude, to it mind. started fucking hailing. Yeah, my God, cats and dogs out here. There's a lot that I really fucking love about this movie. Um, I love the opening sequence, how it handles the flashbacks and how it just kind of cuts to the original film in this sort of pop way. Uh, the The editing is just nuts. It goes crazy. Um, 
I love the costumes. I love the 80s aesthetic. I love uh, the way that this movie looks and the way that it's staged. Like the, the idea to set most of it in a subdivision that's still being built in an 80s subdivision. It, it, this movie is kind of dripping with this uh, 80s cynicism towards consumerism. And I love the idea of putting it in like a uncanny valley, unfinished subdivision. It's it's just so good and fanciful and and uh, and and great this movie is a camp treasure uh there's like troll 2 car flashbacks dream sequences uh when they're driving up to to the subdivision um there's a great deal of poetic license and sort of poetic realism uh in in the staging with how it's all done very reminiscent of nightmare on elm street in a lot of ways uh in all the best ways i think um it takes a long time to get to where you want it to get, but it gets there eventually. And some of those interludes in the middle, I find kind of wear thin, but it's, it's such an original concept and such an original, uh, slasher killer. You're not going to forget him ever. He's, he's so distinct that it, it stands, I think above the original. Um, I think it's a more original work and uh sorry in in terms of the killer or as a whole as a whole oh, but nice. also in terms of the killer mm-hmm. um i think it's uh it's really a, a wonderful movie i love uh some of the supporting characters they're all they're all kind of weird uh the dream sequences are all great um i i love like the the bathroom sequence and i love having an unreliable oh. narrator kind of kind of at the center of the narrative, right? She's you, she, you can't really trust anything that she uh, sees. And then the final payoff is pretty great. The ending, uh, I'm not so crazy on. The ending maybe is the only thing I don't really like that much. But otherwise, I love how it's such a strong about face from the original. Couldn't be more different. But uh, it's a lot of fun. And still, I think, has some of the same ideas. Yeah, uh, this movie's fucking exceptional, man. Like, I could see this becoming one of my favorite movies to watch, just like full stop. Period. I'm not gonna really like in an overview say anything you guys haven't said, but like, in in my argument against this movie being anywhere on the tailored raincoat spectrum is that it's all over the fucking place. But I mean that in a good way, sort of like what you were talking about, Mitch. Like the editing is bananas. And the way it just cuts between like flashbacks and montages and songs and what's actually happening and something that might be happening, like it's completely off the rails in a way that I think is really, really fun. Aesthetically, it's like absolutely just like delicious. Um, the pastel budget for this movie must have been infinite. Um, everybody's fits are just going wild. I love that this is a music movie. There's three different like full musical numbers with montages. Um, some of the effects are really fucking gnarly, like the zit effect when she's like hallucinating that her whole oh, face is messed dude. up. That might have so I might have popped harder for that, no pun intended, than any other moment in a movie this year. That had me exclaiming and jaw dropped. Yeah, it's so good and like the killer's so weird and that performance by the way i know it's just a rich dude i guess but um he's awesome 
he is so so good and he's adding so much to this movie by just being a fucking weirdo and um i don't know like i have i think maybe no complaints like anything that i didn't think was great like i'll i'll get over it this movie is so 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 good amazing sorry i'm just i'm trying to think of now that we all love it what the best place to start is because i'm excited yeah i wasn't sure either why don't we why don't we start with like the design (sighs) sheesh um or the characters we can start with the characters no i mean like design wise like it's like hey did you guys forget it was 1987 don't worry you won't um this condo that they go to like every wall has like a new pastel panel on it and it's just like this huge like weird it's a very bizarre feeling because it's like a half unpacked house it feels like the adjuster by adam mcgoyan yeah (laughs) that's a really good pull like just uncanny valley kind of kind of of being in like a housing development everything in boxes yeah it's yeah it's got that and going for it. It adds this weird feeling of like Liam said, like they're not like their guard isn't up, but like you'd think in weird circumstances like that, maybe it should be, even though it's like the family house or whatever. Like the vibe is just so strange. But like visually, um, there's not a ton of super elaborate camera work, but like the production design itself, like really carries that very precise. 80s feeling to like its absolute limit like it's it's could not be more made in the 80s looking um and those like very pop kind of colors and um even the outfits too and like the way characters look like their band outfits when they're performing are so sick when they're in the garage initially and later too but like that first like yeah we're all decked out and performing is super gnarly and um I think the way the movie looks is such a fun element to it. And then to add to that, this weird, like almost flippant, we're going to use POV shots whenever we want adds this weird level of like, I was comfortable in this like fun, colorful environment. And now I'm kind of not because it's become very confrontational. And I think that's interesting. Oh yeah. Yeah. I didn't know who to trust. They keep doing these shots. It starts with a whole lot of these shots on Matt, which is um, the character that our protagonist Courtney has a crush on. Um, And he'll be like dead center in the frame, just looking straight ahead, right into the camera, uh, uh, you know, as he's looking at the person in front of him and it, and he's smiling, you know, but it feels, uh, quite unsettling and they do that early in the movie um and so i didn't know what kind of movie this was going to be and i thought that that was a really cool way to uh um just kind of let you know that even though these girls are just playing music in the garage uh this is this is a gonna eventually be a horror movie i i think what's cool about it is that um it seems like it's using the POV to add tension to like moments that would be high pressure for her to be in. So it's like being asked out is like stressful. So you get the POV. And then the next one is she's talking to her mom wanting to ask if she can go to the weekend. And like, that is another one. And then when she's talking to the police, that's the other one. 
And so it's like it gives you this very like uncompromising view because like you said, it's very like center framed. It's very clinical. And because you're being stared at, it's like very off putting and it's only happening in like high stress situations, which is like a cool use of POV because I feel like we don't get it a lot. But because it puts you inside the character, but it's also so isolating because you feel like you're kind of being judged Mm. like it's really effective. I'm not sure if we've talked about the use of shot reverse shot in this. Um especially in some of the more fanciful elements, but it's a, a, a great technique to sort of uh, create a disassociative element to uh, the storytelling. Like there are so many scenes where it doesn't look like the people that are talking to each other are in the same room. For example, the band practice sequence when the male love interest shows up and he pulls up under that sort of Spanish arch or whatever, and they're playing in a garage and it's all shot reverse shot. And you don't believe for a minute. It's like different times of day. (laughs) Yes. Or the, uh, the interrogation scene with, or the questioning scene with uh, the police officer Voorhees, uh, how it cuts back and forth and he delivers this show-stopping performance. He almost steals the movie with that one scene. Um, and the the shot, reverse shot, and how it's used to cut between uh, the main characters and the policeman, it kind of seems disassociative, like, is this really happening? Uh, there's there's this uncanny quality that the, in the editing choices and the camera choices that I think really lend credence to the fact that you cannot trust the main character and their observation. It's really helpful for the dream logic yeah. approach. It's yeah. honestly something Nightmare on Elm Street could have tried to use more. Dude, I I, so. now that I've seen it. I think this is better than almost every Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Certainly, like the later Nightmare on Elm Street movies once they were into the late 80s, I think that this picks up the baton and uh, totally improves it. You know, I think if you're looking for a late 80s Elm Street movie um, because you like that sort of MTV-inspired pop art, bright, goofy, gore sort of thing, I think Slumber Party Massacre 2 is is a, is a great uh, prescription. Oh, another instance of the POV that I think is cool. I believe it happens when she is they're in the car driving to the condo, but I forget if it's her dreaming about it or if it actually happened, but and it does this like 360 pan around the car of what all of her friends are doing. Yeah, just looking at her like they're like chewing bubble gum and stuff and kind of getting Dude, up in her the face. Pop, the bu- the That's bubble the popping troll two the sequence camera. that I'm talking about. It's kind of yeah. like the sing that song I like so much, Joshua. Yep. No, just sing, row, yeah. row, row, row. You know the one. <laughs> yeah, you know the one. But the, the bubble popping into the camera is such a good shot. And it's so like off-putting, weirdly. like It's one of those things where like depending on the viewer, they're either going to be like, that was hot, or I hated that. <laughs> yeah, I got the impression from that 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 was um, a slight version of an unreliable narrator. Like Mitch was saying, I, I love that we have an unreliable narrator here. And, you know, it's not always in the sense that she has a dream that there's a, a killer or she has a dream that something gory has happened. Like there's a, a bloody hand in her sandwich. Then she tells her friends and, you know, her friends check and there's nothing there. It's not just in that obvious sense. It's like here in the car where Corey said, you can't really tell if it's supposed to be a dream or not. All her friends are looking right at her um and it it feels very confrontational and invasive um and i read that as as not having actually happened you know not not exactly a dream but it's sort of how she is perceiving the moment because um she had this 
awful, awful experience years ago that has traumatized her and um, has perhaps made her uncomfortable um, about going away from her parents with a group of friends um, now that she's about the same age that her older sister was when that happened to her. And so I see it as... Instead of visiting her, she's going even. Yeah, yeah. So I see it as her being very anxious in that situation and all her friends seem a lot more confident than her and maybe she thinks that all her friends are thinking about her and judging her. And uh, I I think that's a great, creepy little moment. And it also, it did remind me of Troll 2 as well, which is never a bad thing. Never? Never, never so. once has that been a bad thing. I don't think so. All right. Also, the way this movie treats dreams is so fucking funny. I don't know if we've ever seen something funnier in a movie, and I mean this, than right at the beginning when we just get like those credit shots and she's just sleeping, and it just crossfades between her sleeping and like the dude catching a football <laughs> cheerless, and then back to her sleeping, and then back to just like him staring directly into the camera holding a football. <laughs> oh yeah it's such a like dry like of course the hot hunky guy would be throwing a football but like it's so like in being so bland it becomes really interesting and that's exactly what it's doing and by like enforcing those cliches and kind (laughs) of playing with them right it's and also just visually like it's just fucking hilarious like the fact that just it's fading to like this random dude And then, and then it's, and then you get a bunch of quick flashes of stuff from the original, you know, people getting murdered. And then you also get a couple flashes of stuff that I didn't recognize. I wasn't sure. I thought maybe I was watching Slumber Party Massacre 3 by accident because I was seeing like this figure in leather boots walking past someone beneath a bed. And so I I didn't know. And then, um, and then she jolts awake in bed. And I thought it was an amazing introduction. I, I thought that it was kind of like starting the movie with the end scene of Carrie where like you're getting something shot very seductively you're looking at a, a young woman's body um, you're seeing her pleasant dreams and the stuff that makes her subconscious happy and then you see what makes her subconscious terrified you know and what would what would be in the deepest recesses of her brain in order to scare her and you also learn a lot about her you learn that she has this crush and you learn that she has um this trauma and then when matt is introduced when he's talked about on the way to school and then introduced uh, you know i'm all caught up i thought it was uh, amazing introduction you know i thought that this is like kind of feels like a legacy sequel before that was a thing where we have courtney grown up and dealing with the trauma of the first movie i was kind of thinking halloween 2018 eat your heart out i i was loving it also uh just quickly because liam just mentioned it briefly but when they're driving to school and they sing in the car just love that just a great yes. scene Yes, that was that was is another small thing I love in movies. Just characters, uh, you they just feel like friends. Like it felt nostalgic to me. It made me think of when I would drive uh, around um, in a car with my friends, and we would just like sing to the radio. You know, she says, "I yeah. love this song." Turns it up on the radio, and they just sing. I I thought that was amazing. It made me think very specifically of a drive to school that I had. So there was a dude that my sister knew that I didn't know super well, but. Uh, sometimes would drive me to school when I was in grade, I think 12, like if I didn't have the car, but he was going, his name was Caleb. Like he would take me in. It reminded me very specifically of a drive. They weren't similar, but 
like similar instances like we weren't singing along to anything but he drove this like old kind of beat up like hatchback and it was like a 20 minute drive and i had i still used an ipod like classic at the time because i was like that fucking kid i still have them but uh you know i guess i never grew out of it but um it just reminded me of just the really bizarre drive that we had because i was like oh you gotta listen to this thing and like he was a bit of like a a a dweeb kind of like that's sort of his vibe like if you didn't meet him but like you'd be like oh if you just looked at him so like picture me and a dude who sort of looks like a nerd like stereotypically like driving around in a shitty car two guys who look like nerds yeah exactly (laughs) um listening to death grips out of an ipod (laughs) nice dude. and it was it just reminded me of that like just how you could have such like a weird vibe on drives like that i'm gonna picture um, you guys singing along anyway <laughs> like just like streaming like i've seen footage like yeah <laughs> but uh yeah um her friend group is really fun in this movie like that was some great casting of just like really like bubbly kind of like welcoming vibes for those characters to have Touch of the creme brulee casting. Touch of the creme brulee. Um, and then like they just do the most generic like slumber party stuff. Like they're literally dancing around with their shirts off, and then like then the dude show up. They're just like, I didn't even think this was a thing. <laughs> like I didn't. Yeah, know. amazing. There's also, yeah, the, there's also the obligatory voyeurism se- sequence. You know. Yeah, the classic. And then they break in and they like threaten to assault somebody as a joke. These men are. They horrible. don't threaten to. They they literally do. Like the yeah. brother who's a. Uh, who's a pervert like by the pool that one scene where he like that's literally just the salt it's literally terrible literally just the salt yeah that's, um, that's yeah. kind of gross yeah i i ended tj up being, is maybe the worst character we've ever encountered you think so hey i ended up he's being charmed by him by the end i mean like i like his performance a lot and he's fun but like if you met that dude for real yeah yeah totally God, he would suck yeah that's more what I mean. Like his, perf- I think he's performing it great, but like he just seems like such a dick. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. He's and he's definitely believably shitty too, right? Like when he pulls her into the pool and she's, you know, uh, I, I I was thinking that she's got to also be averse to water because a pool is uh, where um, the killer in the first movie was killed, and so uh, he pulls her into the water. She can't swim. It kind of seems like maybe she passes out or something. Has to get pulled out, and then he like half-heartedly apologizes, and you can tell that he's not like an evil he callous feel dude. Bad. He doesn't. Like, it's one of those when he's alive. Yeah, but he doesn't feel that bad. Yeah, yeah, and also just like that, he's like, "Well, did it work?" <laughs> like he's like, "Well, I don't want to feel too bad, so I'm going to see if this actually fixed your hangover or not." Um, also, when she uh, hallucinates underwater about the greaser man, great stuff. Awesome, yeah. And and TJ, he's got like this this California sort of Bill and Ted voice to him, um, yeah. and just every line, uh, just uh, eventually, it just won me over. I thought he was he was amazing. He, I really yeah, he's liked very him. that that dude. I do have two of the characters' names confused, so forgive me if I don't remember this quite right. Because I know that Sally is the is the one who has the zit in her face explodes. The other two, I don't remember who was who uh, between um, Amy and Sheila. But altogether, like the it, there's this really interesting thing where it's like her friends are concerned, but not in a way where they seem to be able to do anything helpful. And that's just a really interesting dynamic to have when it's like a a supernatural problem 
where they're like oh like maybe it's just this like you just gotta fucking you know relax and like hang out and it'll be fine and she's like no man like um uh, a greaser broke into the house and like the fridge threw a chicken at me and everybody's just like what like i don't like the fact that she she doesn't like just win everybody over, but they're that, still that chicken, sort of trying to help is really interesting. That chicken thing is great. The elements of body horror in this in the in the dream sequences are top shelf. Like the zit sequence, I don't know if we talked about that yet, but that's oh, so good. Is so fucking gross and so good. Also, I mean, just the uh, the notion of using a drill like that, it's so impractical. A drill guitar is even more impractical than just a power drill, but. So many kind of movies from this period did use a drill. Like if you think of Body Double, which I think is 84, um, there's a drill in that. Also, The Driller Killer, Abel, Abel Ferrara, that would have been the late 70s. But uh, again, <laughs> the use of a power drill and kind of a, um, a definitely like a psychosexual movie that has a lot to, that definitely utilizes the the phallic imagery of, of, of that um, to satirical ends. Uh, yeah, the, using a drill like that is such a fuck choice for a weapon. Terrifying. It is. It is terrifying, and so it's such a strange juxtaposition that this movie takes that drill and puts it on the end of this elaborate, shiny red guitar wielded it's by a dude <laughs> who you would otherwise be attracted to. You know, he's not the he's not the old sweaty blank stared killer from the original he's a charismatic guy with spiked hair and uh so it's it's really interesting i think this movie combines horror and um fun in a really cool and sometimes creepy way a lot of the the chase scenes and the kill scenes are scored by poppy 50s rock and roll it's so cool it's so bizarre yeah the rockabilly sort of sensibility juxtaposed against that 80s ken and barbie pop is really good he also gets a whole song number where one of them isn't able to get into a room for protection and he gets all of the time to do the entire song before the kill happens and it's such a bizarre juxtaposition that's the buzz song yeah i will say my biggest disappointment with this part is all the kills are the same. It's just drill through your chest every time. It's cool that one of them went through a phone, but like I was a little disappointed by that. That phone one is pretty sick. I think, yeah, it does suffer from that. Another thing that I'm glad about in this movie is that oftentimes musical movies, there's so, especially lower budget ones, there's so much music in it and none of it that you really want to take in because it's like underproduced or kind of cheesy and like doesn't really feel like it's something that would be successful or commercially successful in its time. And I, I say that like a lot of the music in this movie, especially the stuff that's produced by the band, like maybe like isn't all that great, but I enjoy these musical sequences more than I do like a lot of musical movies that kind of shoehorn them in that are just like, can this be done now? I Um, did like the music in the movie a little bit, to be honest. You did or didn't? I did. It's very, it works kind of like of its time, but I like, I like that stuff. I liked the band. I would listen to this band. I know the, I wish the band had a name. The, the band who supplied the music is a real band. They're called Wednesday week. Oh. And uh, they they were on a label and they gave their music to the movie, so you can listen to them. Wednesday, I'm gonna, you know what I'm doing right now. I do. Oh, it's on Spotify. Yeah, they're a real oh, band. Fuck. 
They only have 79 monthly listeners. That's a fucking crime. I'm going to listen to this. There Hell yeah, go. dude. This is an unreal discovery. Um, so one thing I do want to talk about too is these, uh, these fucking dream sequences, like they're so fucking frantic too. Like they're really jarring the way they're just like cut, cut, cut. And then at one point the driller killer man literally says like, look, all I'm saying is don't go all the way. And then she tries to go all the way and he's like, oh no, I got to come into reality and kill you. And it's just like, it's so jarring all of the time. Like the fact that he becomes real the second she tries having sex is like legendarily on the nose. But then like getting up to that point is just so like all over the place. I love how underwritten of a character he is as well. Like it's just like this. He just says like rock and roll vagaries. Yeah. Who comes up from nowhere. It's not like a Freddy Krueger where we kind of have like, oh, and you know, the neighbors locked him in this building and set him on fire because he was, you know, this or that. Um, It's. It's great how you know nothing about him and he's played completely for shock value or for like... And the performance is so good. Yeah. He's so good. Like, I wish we got this dude in more stuff in the future. He never explains himself, though. He never... He just is there to play guitar solos while killing you with his guitar. He's a rockabilly kill demon that doesn't want you to fuck. That's all it is. Pretty great. What more do you need? I don't need my fucking slasher movie to explain it any more than that. Mm. Give me pastel colors, friends that are caring but aloof, cops that don't listen, and a guy who wants to kill. And we're done. We're With a pompadour. With a pompadour. And like break dancing. Brief break dancing. <laughs> and and when, because- when it flashes forward to that in a dream sequence, and I just like the first time you see like a quick cut and he's just like spinning on the floor. <laughs> Yeah, and you got you also get him dancing next to Valerie's bed in this dreary mental hospital room. That's when it felt like Twin Peaks to me. I was like, what the heck is going on? Who is this mysterious figure? Um, and I thought that I might be underwhelmed when the when he came into the real world um, because it didn't really make sense to me. This this character is is just a figment of her of her uh damaged mind and it's just someone she's concocted in her head um in fact i read that the initial idea was to have the killer played by matt as well in a dual role you know her crush interesting and i think that would have i think that would have been really cool it would have it would have maybe robbed us of this great little caesar's performance um but maybe this matt little <laughs> maybe matt could have pulled it off you know who knows i think that would have uh been a bit more thematically interesting because i read the movie as um uh that whole third act taking place in her head that he didn't actually come out into the world and start killing people and and he's just this weird amalgamation of uh her you know her love for music and maybe her uh, attraction to to dudes who look like this or something yeah and so so i just think it's 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 weird and uh strange and and all the better for it um and so i ended up kind of liking the way the movie unfolded even though I, I was worried for a bit there when he came into the world because then it felt a bit too nightmare on elm streety without the the 
narrative resonance of Nightmare on Elm Street. Mitch, I'm curious, when you said earlier that you think the movie has a wicked final payoff, but you didn't like the ending, what are those two uh, moments to you? Well, the final sequence in the construction site is really great, really fanciful. I love the way it's lit. I love the effect of the clouds rolling in and running through uh, this unfinished skeleton of a home with this drill just kind of moving through the plywood beside you it's it's very evocative and very effective and i think that that sequence is really really good what i don't like is the it was all a dream um kind of well maybe maybe it wasn't well it does leave some room in, in, for interpretation in the end but i don't know i've i've just yeah i agree that if for a movie that's, that's 75 cheap. minutes it, it does feel like it just wants to end mm-hmm. yeah like I, I don't know how i would have rather it ended but i just I for Going a movie to the that is booth at Denny's so, that was being held. Yeah, for a movie that is otherwise so original, I just can't stand it ending on a cliche like that. Yeah, that popped into my head too. Um, you know, the it was all a dream thing uh, has been used so much. It didn't bother me in this movie once it all happened, just because the movie starts with Courtney dreaming, and the dreams are where the you know, I'd say 60%, 75% of the movie's scares and horror are until we get to when he actually comes out into the real world. Um, and that's also why the the drill kills in the third act, the, you know, the, the, the sameness of them didn't bother me as much because we got so much cool gore in the dreams. Um, and so because it ends with her dreaming i thought that it it felt true to the character i thought it had been established um i had bought into her dealing with trauma in that way and uh in my reading it makes sense that after she had sex with matt the thing that she was terrified to do that she had dreamt that her sister and this uh mysterious driller killer guitar man they both told her in her dream not to go all the way and so it kind of makes more sense to me that after she did it it's not that her dream came alive it's that she had a, a dream about her dream coming alive um and then she wakes up to discover it didn't actually happen and and actually that's also part of her dream driller killer kills matt and she's still dreaming and then that would be enough to like send her over the edge and then um hopefully her friends helped her out and got her in this mental hospital doesn't look like she's doing too well in this mental hospital it looks pretty dirty but um it just it that all made sense to me for that for that character and i and i bought into that story even though i i was wondering if it was going to be something a bit more revolutionary than that you know i was wondering how they were going to explain such a weird killer if it was someone she knew in the past or how he actually came into the world or whatever and um i i ended up uh being okay with it and especially okay with the idea that this killer didn't actually come into the real world because that that was really bothering me it felt very unearned the killer like breaks the fourth wall too, which I think is a good dream element. Like before he goes upstairs to get the whichever girl it is that couldn't get in the room, he looks at the camera and is like, he says some dumb shit like, "Now it's rock and roll time" or whatever. But like, and then oh, that, he, like right before yeah. he does the song number, he like fully breaks the fourth wall. Dude, he just wants to rock and roll too, eh? Rock and roll, baby. He just says it's it's like Party Man from Cabin Fever. He just it's, loves it. Yeah. Um. 
yeah i don't know like everything here is great it, it is i will say though two things one watching things get worse and worse for courtney and like her friends not be very receptive is genuinely kind of upsetting because it just keeps happening throughout this entire trip and like when things start escalating with like the problem with the bathtub first of all i, I was like are they just gonna fully do the nightmare on elm street thing and they almost do they like they put two nightmare on elm street bits together for the bathtub thing which i think works but then like really just cool, seeing her yeah. friends gradually just sort of be like look we're kind of getting tired of the fact that you're like having a bad time was like genuinely kind of upsetting it was it was and i and i totally bought it and i also i thought that this movie actually had depth to the characters in that way and their reactions um i thought it it felt pretty believable that that tj is his name actually tj or is it aj am i fucking this it's up it's tj Okay, thank you. Um, TJ, yeah, he's he's just he's such a prick, but I thought he was a believable prick. Um, and her other friends, I thought that they were um, occasionally much more understanding than I would expect in a movie like this. They weren't calling her crazy the entire time. In fact, when she first says uh, that there's a killer in the house. Um, you know, this now it's 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 progressed from uh, it's not just she's saying that like uh, there's a hand in her burger or whatever. She's saying there's a killer in the house. They say let's call the cops, um, which is more than I think most horror movie characters do, especially when someone is saying something that sounds outlandish and, and has a history of uh, of saying that they've seen things that aren't there. They call the cops, and I thought it was really clever that they then give the callousness and the um the um derision and the the ignorance to the cops you know those cops i think are really believably cruel to her and um really flippant and then they're the ones who when they try to call the cops again when it seems the killer is real and coming for them all the cops are the ones who who say that you know she's lying and they've uh they've already done this once before um i i really bought into that and i also loved the scene where she's crying to matt her crush and and she says um i don't know if i'm going crazy or what you must think i'm the weirdest girl in the world and i really related to that um this this idea of this of this woman who just just wants to be okay and she doesn't know what's wrong with her and she knows that she must be bothering other people um and and matt tells her you know, you're not. I, I think he's he, he's very understanding. He says that I think you had something terrible happen to you, and that your friends have have brought it back up. You know, and uh, you're you're getting triggered in this house because um, it's very similar to the environment you were in when um, your fucking sister was almost killed years ago. So I thought that this that it was actually pretty tactful in in a, in a lot of moments, and I really loved it. And it is very unsettling. You're right, Corey, because like you, you want her to get even more support than she's getting. Um, so I, I, I thought it was very believable. Yeah, whole movie's good. <laughs> like there's, there's scarcely a dull moment in the thing. Even like when they have to stop on the drive-in and they go to a parking lot. Like even in like these weird like just sidebar moments, they're squeezing in like dreams and hallucinations and like like because it's so tightly packed for the runtime like everything just hits it's really great 
Yeah, and I thought the sunset at that gas station that they stop at was beautiful. Yeah. Like that made me think of this kind of ragtag, low budget group that was like, mm. okay, we we have like ten minutes to get this shot. The sunset looks awesome right now, and I I just loved it. You're not there for long because I imagine they couldn't have been there for long shooting before the the sky went away. And I thought it was just enough. I thought it was awesome. So much of this movie is shot during golden hour, uh, and it really adds to that um, dreamy quality that the movie has right that that golden uh last breath of the summer kind of vibe um very kind of whimsical almost i i love it i love this way the way this movie looks yeah me too i thought i thought it looked and also um uh, narratively felt a lot more modern than, than I would expect. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think a lot of the shots like are composed very, very artfully. One is where Matt is talking on the phone um, and he's sitting like shirtless in his bedroom and his bedroom is lit by like pinks and purples and he's got some his sparse is posters on his insane. wall of like football posters and it felt like uh, it was slightly like ethereal um it doesn't look real for sure. Yeah, and like, that seemed like that seemed like it would be in like a an A24 movie nowadays. Yeah. And likewise bedroom, with the Yeah, go ahead. No, oh sorry, I'll do it really quick, but that bedroom was like a cross between the bedroom in Nightmare on Elm Street 2 that the his like friend has and that like uh UFO-shaped house in Body Double. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, I thought, I thought it was breathtaking and I thought that the way the story went down where like, it wasn't clear what was happening and it was, it was weird and surreal and, uh, just odd. I thought that also felt like a modern, um, movie where the whole time I was thinking like, I don't know where this movie is going. I don't know what's going to happen next. That felt like an A24 movie to me, not one of the slow burn A24 movies, but like one of the stranger A24 movies, like Swiss army man or something. And I think the only difference is that this ends up not having some sort of like big all encompassing reveal that is, uh, um, maybe like more, uh, tightly thematic and and clear i think if this movie were made nowadays it would have some sort of big punch at the end that some people would love and other people would hate and i think it ends up going for a bit of the the safer route um and like i said the safer route worked for me but uh i thought i think that this is a really like timeless cool movie that i'm now surprised i don't hear talked about more in in any of the horror mm. circles i'm in because i think it, it totally brings it from multiple different angles can i add a take from uh, our friend neil yeah slumber party massacre two rules <laughs> nice neil yeah um this is already very much at the running for my best of the year and we just finished doing that and but- we watched some good shit and this is going to be tough to top. It's so good. Noted. How do you guys now feel about the the sequels? Are you interested in seeing them? Yeah, I very nearly watched the remake. Um, I actually watched about 10 minutes of it, and then I just decided I wasn't in the mood. Um, so I need to get back to that. But I would absolutely watch Lumber Party Massacre 3 just to see. 
Yeah, I'm in, I'm in no great rush to go and see it, mainly because I just watched two of them in one day yesterday, but I'll get around to it eventually, I'm sure. When the nice, time is yeah. right, maybe closer to Halloween, October's just around the corner. Um, when that happens... Halloween, maybe uh, the week leading up to Halloween, do you guys want to have a creme brulee party and we can watch Slumber Party Massacre 3? Well, I don't know if it's a creme brulee vibe. But what if we <laughs> yeah, insist we'll upon to see. it? Well, we could we could ruin the creme brulee and the movie for ourselves that way. It was a Mitch already took a big enough risk. No, no, I actually was like watching it and I was like, yeah, fuck, this is a creme brulee. Vibe. Nice, okay. So we got it. We got it. We got to have uh, we got to have money on hand in case it ends up being a creme brulee vibe. We'll pause the or movie. a pizza vibe. You can order a pizza. You can make a pizza. You can yeah. Uber eats I, creme I find it hard to believe if if the third one isn't a pizza movie. But yeah, I I think um, I'm really interested to watch the other ones. I've seen the remake, and I would love to get to that one with you guys at some point. But I propose this. Um, I propose that we hold off on watching the third one by ourselves um, and we do it on the podcast whether it's soon or later I don't think it matters but I think we should get together to watch the third one and and then maybe a while after that get together and watch the fourth one and kind of go through the franchise together now that we're we're on this train sold I'll start saving up money to get the uh, $900 double feature blu-ray of slumber party massacre two and three <laughs> that's going on eBay and then we'll be good. I have the remake, so we're set. It's handled. Um, now that we've got those plans set up, what do we think our plans are for next week? Because I believe, Liam, the ball is in your court for that. Sure, yeah. So my plans um, are to do something Corey and I uh, rarely do. Um, and I just, I just say Corey and I by ourselves right now because this goes back to even before Mitch joined the podcast. Where Corey and I, we have a habit of... Uh, making loose plans either on the podcast or together and uh, then either forgetting about them ignoring them changing them at uh, montreal we're yes, still doing that's right that. <laughs> that's yeah. right fuck okay. you we're absolutely still doing that all right and so uh <laughs> so i, I want to do something that that we've mentioned on the podcast many times and Corey and i have also joked about um outside of the podcast many times and and i would i would be bummed out if we didn't do it now because if i don't pick it now it'll at least be you know another month away and by that point i think we've missed the boat i'm I'm tired of missing the boat so i'm gonna do the newly released movie um it's available to rent or buy or it's, it's in limited theatrical right now i'm not sure how long that'll last and i don't think it's playing anywhere near us um but you can rent it online it is Orphan First Kill, the, the sequel to the 2009 Let's movie Orphan. Go. That's what I want to do. Yeah, Next. I cannot wait to see that. They're up to some fucking wild shit in that movie. Like, just like the way they kept the casting and like the way they approached it. Like, I can't wait to see like what the results of that are. Yes. Yeah. It, it'll be really cool. I'll admit, I've seen it already. I was just, I was eager. And I've watched it, and having watched it, I I think it's a it's a good pick. I mean, I think whether or not we like it, it'll make for very interesting discussion. I'm, I'm so curious to hear what you guys think of it. I think it's a it's a cinematic oddity, and so it'll it'll be really cool to check out. Hell yeah! Now that we're all teed up for next week, uh, Mitch, quick question for you. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything you want to plug? Yeah, so uh, how's the hangover? 
Is that like a pod racer from like Star Wars? I think it was a headless chicken. Who could say? Man, he's still going. Okay, I think he's done. Uh, Liam, do you have anything you want to plug? I have a film writing alter ego, Graham the Haunted Marshmallow, on Twitter and Letterboxd. You can check me out there at the username Graham the Mallow. Uh, do if people you still to- say username? Mm-hmm. Is that still a thing? Username handle. Handle? Uh, like at. your Twitter handle, your at. You can find whatever you at. want to call it. Okay. Yeah, I think I don't, I'm just fine. afraid I'm maybe sounding like a like a no, boomer. Like or the website still say username. I think you're okay. Okay, your username is Graham the Mallow. It's fine. All right. Um, my username on Twitter is Mr. Corey Price. It's also that on Letterboxd If you want to see those, uh, if you want access to the other podcasts that I do, uh, MK Podcast with our friend Neil about all kinds of Mortal Kombat ephemera, including the classic TV show Mortal Kombat Conquest, and also Strat Two, a podcast about F one. Uh, if you go to mortalcombatconquest.ca, there's links to all of that stuff there. We just put it all in one convenient location. Finally, it only took like years to think of doing that. Thank you all once again for listening to this episode of They Made Another One. You can reach us all over the internet on Twitter at They Made Another, all one word, and on Letterboxd at TMAO. You can find episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, and everything else as They Made Another One. You can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and yes, again, you ranking movies on our creme brulee pizza Taylor Raincoat matrix. Our fantastic thumbnail art is done by Jade Dickinson. You can find on Instagram at Jade Sketches. And with all that out of the way, we're going to find out what's up with this orphan next week. And they made another one. Hello, and welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we discuss an off-forgotten installment in a franchise and see if you should check it out for yourself. I'm Corey. That's weird. Hang on, I said it wrong. No, that's your name. <laughs> it's not weird. It's good. No, no, no. Like, I usually... Hang on. Just let me do it more. You sense. said it without the E. Yeah, I said Michelle. Um, just People that, aren't going to uh, know what that means, bro. It's, we got to stop referencing... <laughs> Referencing conversations that happen outside the podcast it's so cruel no, to listeners yeah well, gotta so how's that, how's that so yeah tell me more about this rash mitch <laughs> what right. i'm puking over you um three two one